Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Big show today, big guest. Kirk Herbstreet will be with us. Uh, you've seen him on ESPN's College Game Day, Amazon NFL Thursday Night Football former Ohio State player, now has the broadcast world by the tail. Herb Street will be with us on today's show. Also, we'll get a visit from Bill Riley in Salt Lake City. Oregon heading to Utah, Oregon State heading to Tucson. Bill Riley, the voice of Utah Athletics, will be joining us in the 4 o'clock hour to talk about that. We'll give our picks on today's show. We will get you locked in for the weekend when it comes to sports. And we'll try to do what, what sports is supposed to do on, on today's show. Sports is supposed to do what? It's supposed to uh, create a diversion. It's supposed to, uh, you know, give you an escape from all that other stuff. And sometimes, i got to be honest, sometimes in the last 14 months or so, the world of sports, is particularly the Pac-12 stuff, has uh, felt a little bit too much like the real world. You know what I mean? Not the real world like MTV with Puck. I'm talking like more like the headaches of your job, a bad boss, death, taxes, a little bit of mourning and some lawyers involved. I mean, it's just not been the escape that it should be. I, I, I like sorting through it, but not as much as I like talking about the games that are being played and telling the stories of the athletes and the coaches and, frankly, having that conversation with you. One-on-one. Kirk Herbstreit will be along in this segment to talk about college football and broadcasting. He'll be with us in just a couple minutes, uh, joining us from Salt Lake City. He was in Buffalo last night. He'll be in Salt Lake City all the way through the College Game Day broadcast on Saturday morning. And then he will take off for the uh, Southern California uh, footprint, and uh, he will call the UCLA-Colorado game on Fox uh, and uh, then who knows where. Uh, we'll find out from Kirk Herbstreet coming up. I'm excited about this interview. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of questions, of course, that are top of mind. Uh, you know that I never, uh, you know, I never uh, agree to conditions with interviews. Uh, people have asked me, you know, is anything off limits? Nothing's off limits. We haven't communicated about anything being off limits. We're going to talk about it all with Kirk Herbstreet right off the top of the show today. And, when, you know, when game day comes to town, obviously there's a halo effect of excitement and enthusiasm that comes with that broadcast that arrives alongside it. And if you are a college football fan, you know that the minute your Saturday is over or maybe you start to look into the horizon by one week, the minute all of that is over, you literally will pivot and people will go. I, I remember last Saturday, people were immediately, after the Utah-USC game, people were immediately wondering, would ESPN's College Game Day be in Salt Lake City? And, you know, of course, the rumors and the murmurs started. And, and you know, look, I'm not one of these people that hangs out at 6 o'clock in the morning, waiting in the rain, waiting for, you know, the game day and all that, because I've got to be at the stadium all day, all night. But I see you, and I talk to you, and I watch that broadcast, and I get the enthusiasm and the excitement and the additive value that it brings to a college football uh, Saturday. So without further ado, fresh off his Thursday night football game in Buffalo, 
jumping on a plane to Salt Lake City. Then he'll be on to Southern California where he'll call the UCLA-Colorado game. Kirk Herbstreet is joining us. I got to know, like, you know, from a from a travel standpoint, how does that feel to you, go from Buffalo to Salt Lake to L.A.? <laughs> oh, man, it was a tough one. I, I flew right after the game, so I got a couple hours of sleep, and then I had an 8 a.m. Uh, production meeting for college game day. And then uh, Reese and I taped a few segments and then I got back to the hotel and just been locking in on, you know, the three hour game day show is one that takes for me a lot of preparation. So I've been doing that and did a call with Chip Kelly and and UCLA uh, this afternoon and their coordinators. And then I'll do game day and then head to LA and then fly back home to Cincinnati. Um, so it's it's all just kind of a whirlwind, man. It's it's like you're on a treadmill at 15 miles an hour, and you get off on January 9th. It's just uh, nonstop. I saw you at Husky Stadium walking your dog before the game. Does the dog yeah. make the trip? Does the dog go with you? Yeah, I. That's like my best friend. He is legitimately my guy. It's the first time I've ever taken him. I told my wife um, we have four sons and only one that's still at the house, and I just said, "I oh, mean, I." I want to take Ben this week, and she said, you know, check. you should just check with the hotels, and just so happened that uh, all of the hotels that we were staying at that week were, were uh, pet friendly, so I, uh, I was able to bring him, and he, uh, man, what a difference. When you're traveling as much as I am, to be able to have him with me in the hotel rooms and just, and with, just with you was great, and then, uh, you know, I'm down on the field. I I was going to bring him out there just to kind of see how he would be. You know, he's very friendly and chill, and I didn't realize he would he would just kind of be as calm as he was out there. Because yeah. I tried to bring him out the game day to meet Dubs, and he he was kind of spooked by the crowd. It was really really loud, and uh, he was shaken on the set. So they took him back inside uh, for game day. But when I brought him out for the game, he was seemed to be doing just fine. But he was a blast. I'm going to try to bring him out again next week. Yeah, I saw him. I saw you guys. You strolled right by me, and I saw him, and I thought, gosh, it looks like he does this every week. Like, I had no idea that was the yeah, first time he'd been on a field. He, he looked like a veteran. He, he, he did. He looked pretty good, uh, like he's been there his whole life. So hopefully hopefully next week, wherever. I think we're in Tuscaloosa, maybe, wherever we go uh, next week. I'm hoping to go out to L.A. again next week for the Huskies and, and the Trojans. We'll see. I remember years ago, you know, your kids were little and you were covering maybe a Rose Bowl that Oregon was in, and those kids are all grown up now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think 09, might have been 09, um, Ohio State was in a Rose Bowl. I I can't remember if it was Ohio State and and Oregon. Oregon's been in so many over the years, going back to the chip era. But, yeah, I I would take them every year. where, Where I grew up in the Midwest, the, the the Rose Bowl in our family, my dad played at Ohio State and was a captain, so I grew up at a very young age. No matter who was in the Rose Bowl, it was like just an iconic moment in our household. And, my, and then Ohio State was in it when I was 8 or 9 or 10 or 11. Forget about it. But it didn't even matter really who was in the game. It was like, best way I always describe it is like you have black and white TV living in the, the Midwest when it gets cold and dark at 4 o'clock, and you turn on the Rose Bowl at 5 20 p.m. or whatever it is and bang it's like you go from black and white tv to high def Mm. and so to be able to call the rose bowl these years i just always brought my family i didn't matter who was in it i just brought them and 
brainwash them to respect and love the tradition of what the Rose Bowl is all about. And so, yeah, I would bring them every year. They'd play backyard football on the field, you know, post-game every year. Uh, that's how they grew up. You know, that, that was always, every single year, that was like a trip that we always took. And now they're, my identical twins are 22. I have a 20-year-old and a, a 17-year-old. So, blink of an eye, Crazy. Uh, they're, they're out of the house. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I I have three daughters, and I have often brought them to games, and they travel, and I yeah. go. You get to go. You get to go to some cool places, and uh, but you know you have to do that. I think, and especially with your travel schedule, going yeah. from thir- you know how Thursday. Your, how old are your daughters? My I, I've got a seven year old, a nine year old, and a twenty one year old. So you know oh, I have okay. the I have the whole okay. gamut, and so I realize how fast it goes. I realize how fast yeah. it goes. You know, and so I think I'm a better dad with the younger ones. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I. I think you just kind of learn as you go. There's, you know, there's, I guess there are handbooks. I never, I never took the time to do that. I just kind of followed my parental instincts and did the best that I could. And I, there's no question, you know, I, like my last one, he, my older boys see how I am with him and they're like, dad, what are you doing? I mean, it's like, basically like, where's that hammer you used to have with us? You know, right. I'm just so, so lenient on the last one. He's, like, he's the baby of the house. So. It's a different different set of rules for him. You mentioned Ohio State, and it's interesting, given your family history and your dad, that you know you got there, and you had to wait a while, right? You don't you don't yeah. really play until that senior year. And I'm thinking yeah. about the portal now and everything. Do you, you probably would have stayed at Ohio State given the family history, but do you ever think about that? Like what young Kurt Herbstreit would have done with the portal and NIL? Yeah, I, I think it's why I've always tried to be open, very open-minded about it, just because my experience, um, it was really challenging. I mean, I was a five-star guy and supposed to be walk in there as a freshman and win the job, and, and I, I struggled. You know, I was an option guy. I would love today's game, you know, with being a dual-threat guy, but back then it was more playing from the pocket, seven-step drop, and it took me a few years to just kind of get my bearings. and all along, you know, you'd go back home and it's like, man, why aren't you playing? It was humiliating and difficult and you're 19 and 20. And I think the easy thing to do is just be like, I'm out of here, you know? And for me, my dad, he wasn't necessarily an iron fist, like, no, 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 you're committed. You're going to do it. But it was a different generation. And he was like, you know, you you owe it to yourself to, to follow through on this and keep battling. And, you know, so he was constantly trying to like prop me back up. And as it turned out, I played some my junior year, and then I was a captain my senior year, and you know I, I did a, I did fine. But I I think what I learned through that uh, adversity really helped shape me as a person, and um, really affected me in, in a very positive way. It wasn't fun to go through because it's like having a, a professor maybe in college that you just hated going through that class. But when you got through it you become a 25 or 35 year old and you look back at that professor and you're like, wow, I'm so glad I went through that because it changed me in a very positive way, even though I couldn't stand what I had to do to get through it. And that, that was really my experience as a, as a college athlete. And so now as doing this job that I've done for 28 years, I feel like I relate to everybody on the roster, you know, whether it's the guy that's down at the bottom of the food chain or, the guy that's the captain and the star of the team, I, I feel like I can understand um, a lot of what these guys uh, cope with, even though it's a very different time in, in 2023. But um, it helped me. It helped me as a person and 
how I treat people and, and um, you know, as, as a parent or as a husband or just as a friend. So um, it sucked, but it, it definitely helped mold me for sure. You're getting Oregon and Utah, at least for the game day experience. And as a rivalry, how underrated nationally do you think that rivalry is? In the last five years, these teams have just been right there with each other every season. I I think in general, when you ask that what you're asking me, I think in general the Pac-12 in that region is incredibly underrated. You know, whether... You know, you, if you take um, your average fan from the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12 and you ask them about Oregon, if I asked a Alabama fan, what do you think of Oregon? They, they would know Bo Nix. They might know Dan Lanning, and that's about where it would end. And, and with Utah, I think it's even worse. And so we could debate and talk about why that is. I have to, I've always tried to promote the Pac-12. I enjoy the conference. I always have. I think um, the conference in general, uh, the athleticism, especially the quarterback play over the years and skill, very underrated and underappreciated. But to answer your specific question about the rivalry, I would say it's incredibly underrated. Nobody, I think, east of the Rockies uh, understands, first of all, that Utah is still a brand that somehow goes underneath the radar. You know, it's back-to-back Rose Bowls, back-to-back Pac-12 championships, and, you know, I, I think at least on our show, we try to promote Kyle and what he's done. And, you know, the, the fact that Cam Rising was supposed to be back, hopefully by the UCLA game, conference play starts, and, and he's not, still not back. Now he's going to redshirt, hopefully come back next year. And, I mean, it's an incredible story. You move a safety over to, 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 to be a running back and a Wildcat quarterback, and somehow, some way, that brand just keeps going. And, um, you know, I think they're scoring about 23 points a game. And yet, I don't know what it is. I, I, I have no idea. They have players in the NFL. Uh, just a game I did last night. Dalton Kincaid was all over the place. So it's just a brand that, for whatever reason, does not resonate. Oregon, of course, the Ch- going back to the Chip Kelly era, the uniforms, the glitz, the glamour, even though Chip would hate that, that was what kind of sold on a national level. And that's why I think they, that brand resonates a little bit more. And they've had some big, high-profile uh, games, and I think that's also helped them over the years. And um, so I'm a fan, but I, I don't think that the nation understands, um, you know, the, the magnitude of what that game has become. Yeah, and the physicality of those two teams is different than maybe right. a decade ago. And I think maybe it'll be nice, it'll be good for people, I think, to see that. What do you make of this this final Pac-12 season? I am I grew up in the Pac-12 footprint, so I'm turning the page real slow and kind of savoring it like it's yeah. Game of Thrones final season. But from your standpoint, what do you see? I'm with you. I Again, I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist myself, so I've, I've always loved these different conferences. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to not be that guy that's going to dig in and say, you know, this is not fair. What are we doing? I'm, I'm trying very hard to be, again, open-minded towards realignment. Um, I don't have to always agree with it, but I do need to move on. And I do need to, to realize that UCLA and USC and Washington and Oregon are going to be in the Big Ten. It's going to be, you know, maybe five years from now it'll be normal. But right now, I think of a lot of us who grew up you know, in our generation, it's like, what the hell is happening to us, right. you know? And the rest of the conference being fragmented, what's left, you know, with Oregon State and Washington State, it's, 
as a guy that just loves the sport and loves the, the game on a national level, I, I think it sucks. I think it's awful. But I'm, I am going to try to embrace it and, and move forward with, uh, with our new world that we're all getting ready to, to get used to starting next year. You're in that TV world, so I realize that, you know, this question probably comes right down the alley at you. But what role do you think television plays in the downfall of the conference and realignment and, you know, and maybe what happens next as football splinter away? What, you know, what's a healthy place for television to be versus maybe what's too heavy handed? Well, I, I guess it's all about money at this point. It feels like it. I mean, I'm not in the negotiation rooms or anything like that. I just get on a plane and fly from Buffalo to wherever they tell me, you know, wherever I, next week I'm going. So I'm not I'm not privy to a lot of that information. Actually, you probably, uh, I know you, you do a lot of research and talk with folks about that, but anybody would realize that, uh, that, that what Fox uh, has done with the, the Pac-12 and what ESPN has done, you know, all over the conferences, it's it's pretty obvious that uh, the conference commissioners coming out of, of COVID were interested in trying to make deals that would help uh, strengthen their conferences, and and it became, it sounds like, you know, a bidding war. Um, and I don't know if it's even done at this point. So um, 2024, I think, is where everything will be finalized and, Everything will be moving in a direction that we can all try to start to figure out. I mean, think about all of this, you know, with the portal, uh, with NIL, with the realignment, with playoff going from 4 to 12. It's it's like this perfect storm. And um, those of us that, that again, are are traditionalists and love our rivalries and love certain matchups and love the Rose Bowl and and things like that, man, it is – it is really a, a challenging time. Um, and yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and deny that, you know, that, that the networks uh, weren't involved. I mean, it seems like to me they were, but uh, to what degree and should we blame it all on them? I, I don't, I don't uh, really get involved in that part of it. I don't know if that's all on them, but um, it's definitely about money now. I mean, we've been around for a long time as conferences and the fact that it's now changing here in these last four or five years and, um, you know, it's, it, it becomes pretty clear. It's going to be an, another tier. It's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be called. I have no idea where we're headed. I don't know if they're going to break away from the NCAA, create their own world and their own governing body and their own sets of rules and partner with a quote-unquote players, you know, association where you have some representatives, former players, current players that uh, have some kind of representation that, and negotiate things like NIL and, and all the rest of the things that need to be negotiated. Eventually, the network money, I'm sure, is going to be negotiated with the players. That's probably the next massive hurdle that's on the horizon. So, um, you know, I, I think we all should still have our seatbelt on. I think it's still a long way to go until all this kind of settles. But, again, the one thing that does not let us down is going to Husky Stadium and watching Oregon play Washington and watching Michael Penix walk off the field in tears because of what that moment in his life meant to him after everything he'd been through in Bloomington and the injuries to have that moment. Like the game still delivers, you know, like you tune into these games and I call these NFL games and I enjoy it. It's the highest level of the sport, the greatest players in the world. And I really enjoy working with Al Michaels and it's surreal, you know, to do that. But man, tomorrow, 
you know, here in Salt Lake City, when I fly over, sold out Rose Bowl with Colorado. I mean, it, watching other games, you know, throughout the day, the, the sport continues to deliver despite everything that's going on around it. Um, Saturdays are still still a special day for me anyway. I, I got to imagine your conversation with Chip Kelly is about 50% football and 50% whatever visionary Chip Kelly yeah. wants to talk about because he, he came on with yeah. us and he talks about his sleep and why he doesn't have his phone in his room at night. You know, uh, yeah. I, I just think it's interesting. You get to talk to with a lot of coaches. I mean, he's really different, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys – Reminds me a little bit of Steve Spurrier. You know, when we, we would go in to talk with Coach Spurrier, and it was like, he could pretty much talk about anything you want to talk about, except, okay, Coach, you know, what do you think of third down, or what do you think of the red zone? Or the more specific you got, the more, you know, he'd start scratching his arm, or, you know, you know he'd grab onto his watch, or, you know, get a little fidgety. Uh, a lot of these coaches actually can get that way, you know, if, if, they're, you know, they're getting to that point where it's almost kicked by the time we talk to them and, you know, they've worked on their, their game plan and they've studied so much film that, you know, their, their foot is kind of moving up and down at a million miles an hour when you're, you're talking to them. But then if you break off and you just start talking about, hey, I'm going to be getting in and, you know, I, is there anywhere you recommend I can grab a sandwich? I mean, they'll, they'll talk about that for, <laughs> for 10 minutes, you know, or, or you talk – um, you know, big picture type of stuff. Hey, can you believe what's going on at Michigan? Isn't this crazy? You know, they'll go on for ten or fifteen minutes on something like that. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're the last thing they typically want to talk about is is really rolling up their sleeves and and talking XOs. How how do you think Oregon and Washington do in the Big Ten? I'm excited to see that. Um, I think Oregon's style of football, I think it what's, what's con- for most of the Big Ten fans, the, uh, there's a misconception because they still think Michael James is playing and, and um, you know, DeAnthony Thomas, and, and they're all speed. You know? And if you really watch Oregon, you do uh, quite a bit, you know. Um, and even Chip, if I, back in that time, if I would talk to him about, you guys are all about speed and, getting the ball in space, he would say, no, 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 no. We want to make this game about the line of scrimmage, and we pride ourselves in our physicality. So I think that part with Oregon, especially with Dan Lanning, because he's that way himself, I think that travels. You know, I, I think that fits into what the, what the Big Ten style of football is. And the Big Ten has changed, as you know, a lot. You know, the Big Ten, when Joe Tiller brought in a spread attack to the Big Ten and everybody else was still in an eye formation, he it was like, what is – what the heck is Joe Tiller out of Wyoming doing in the Big Ten? You know, and Randy Walker brought a similar scheme into Northwestern. It was like, these guys are crazy. This will never work in the Big Ten. And now almost everybody runs some kind of version of that. So the game has really changed. It used to be more uh, biased towards the region. You know, it used to be, depending on where you were, there was a certain brand of football. I feel like now, it's even in the NFL, I feel like it's becoming more and more about the game is being played out in space. You know, the quarterbacks are usually dual threat kind of guys, like a Bo Nix. Um, you know, that that's become universal at this point. So I, I think they'll both fit in. I, I'm more, I guess I'm a little more bullish about Oregon because I, I feel like we know more about them and who they are. And with Kalen DeBoer, I feel like it's what we see here these first couple years is incredibly exciting and probably only going to get stronger if he stays there the longer he stays. Um, but I just feel like we know a little bit more about 
Oregon. But I think they'll both do really well. The teams you would be concerned about especially would be USC, um, just because of the way they're playing defense pretty consistently in the last couple of years with, with Lincoln Riley. And you know you can't win in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or any conference if if at the top level playing defense like that. So they've got to get that figured out, obviously in a hurry, even this year. Kirk Herbstreit with us. Uh, ESPN's College Game Day. He'll be on the Fox broadcast on Saturday, calling UCLA Colorado. Named to the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame class, going into the Hall of Fame. Got to call his 16th Rose Bowl, passing Keith Jackson. Most Rose Bowl broadcasts ever. Um, I got to ask you next week. The rankings are coming out. College football playoff rankings. First set of rankings will be out. Um, what do you expect, or what will you be looking for when the rankings come out? Well, I I think there's always a twist. You know, whatever the AP poll is, I almost feel like whoever is on that committee. You know, and it changes every year by a couple people. I just feel like the one thing that's been consistent is they want to be able to prove to everybody that they're different than the AP poll. So I I can't predict what that's going to be, but whatever the conventional wisdom is, they like to throw a little curveball to make everybody go, oh, did (laughs) did you see the rankings last night? Can you believe whatever it is, you know, whatever it might be? Um, I don't know. Michigan is – I have Michigan right now at one. I don't vote anywhere. I just kind of – put my own four teams out and I, I currently have them at one but with everything going on off the field um it just feels strange you know I, yeah. I this story seems to evolve every hour and so based on what they've done on the field i i think they and they haven't played the opponents that the others have but the one thing they have done is in all three phases they've been dominant i mean they have been really really good and again it makes me go okay, well, they've been dominant because they're good or if any of these allegations (laughs) are true, you know. So who knows? But they do have a veteran quarterback in J.J. McCarthy. Most of that team is back from last year. They got a really good back in Blake Corum. Defense is flying around. So they look great. Georgia's right there. I I really – it's so hard to predict what that that outlier will be or that change that they'll have. But – it's a pretty good debate right now with what Washington's done, um, you know, with Florida State, you know, and a couple big wins that they've had. Uh, so, I mean, it's it, it feels good this year because it's not, okay, Alabama's in, yeah. Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, you know, those kind of teams. I, I'm a guy that likes to see, hey, what about, you know, if Oregon beats Utah, they only have one loss, they get back to the Pac-12 championship game, winner of that game, should be in. You know, I, I like new faces. I like new stories. Um, so I have no problem with the, the more the merrier. And I'd love to get out of the same old, same old uh, that we always seem to have in this sport. And meanwhile, Oregon State flies under the radar. Nobody talks about yeah. them. And they're sitting there with one loss, and they beat Oregon last year. They beat Utah already. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a fun race in the next five weeks or so. Um, you'll call the Rose Bowl. I mentioned the Hall of Fame class. How, how, what does that mean to you to you know to to call more games than Keith Jackson? I mean you, that'll be your 16th Rose Bowl. Yeah, it's, it's, you you talked earlier about my career and one thing 
that uh, I never, as much as I dreamed about playing in the Rose Bowl, I never got a chance to, to play in it. Every year we would come down to Ohio State, Michigan, and whoever won the game went to the Rose Bowl. Back then they didn't have a BCS. And if you lost that game, you would slide down usually to the Citrus Bowl and play an SEC team. Um, and so we would, lo- we would lose those games, and it was ripped my heart out. And then to get into TV, if you think about it, almost every single analyst that's in TV is a guy like Desmond Howard or David Pollack or Troy Aikman or whoever it might be where you think about, you know, they were a Heisman Trophy winner or they were won three Super Bowls or whatever it might be. And for me, I was a solid player in the Big Ten. And so when I got into local radio and then eventually I got to ESPN, I never in a million years ever thought that I would have a chance to to work at ESPN and be on the college game day set. And then I was at, at like 25 or 26 years old. And I was doing a job that I was fully aware of. Instead of being embarrassed, I really looked at it as as a challenge, you know, because they, they were looking at me like, who's that guy? And um, which they should have. And I looked at that as like, okay, I'm going to earn my way here by just being prepared. And that's, that's what I did. That became my quote unquote shtick was just be as prepared as I can be. I'm not going to ever have all the answers, but I am going to be prepared. And you're more than welcome to disagree with me. I want you to. That's what makes the sport great. And so that that's kind of how I made my name in the business, sitting next to Lee Corso and Chris Fowler. And I've been on that show now 28 years, and I still look at myself as the same guy, just trying to, like, as when I hang up with you, I'm going to go right back to my board, right back to my preparation. It's just how I do my my weekly uh, ritual, and I'll never change that way because I feel like I'm constantly, sounds corny, but I'm just constantly trying to prove myself and constantly trying to show that I belong uh, in doing this. And I think it's a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I wasn't the Heisman winner. I wasn't the Super Bowl winner. I'm just kind of like the average guy. And so I I feel like i got to outwork everybody um, to kind of earn my keep, and that's – my brand, and that's what I've done. So then I started calling games with Mike Tirico and then Brent Musburger, and now with Fowler and Al Michaels. And to be able to call my 16th Rose Bowl this year, it's um, it, it's like I almost can't even digest that. And then to be able to go into the Hall of Fame in the same year, and they named the, the broadcast uh, booth itself uh, after my family, um, the whole thing is just like, what the heck is happening here, you know? So beyond <laughs> surreal, beyond thankful and, and, uh, and appreciative for the opportunities I've had for sure. All right, my seven-year-old and nine-year-old are buzzing about Halloween. They've got multiple costumes. <laughs> what did uh, young That's Kirk Herbstreet, yeah, what did young what? Kirk Herbstreet dress up as, as Halloween? What do you remember? I was in a full sprint with a pillowcase, uh, to get to as many houses <laughs> as I could. It was, it was more about a, a, a endurance uh, for me. So I put, I would start with those, those old plastic masks that yes. you had the rubber band yes. that would go over the back of your head, yeah. whatever it was, usually about 30 minutes in, that thing was off and I was sweating and we were running and sprinting from house to house. But yeah, it was usually probably like a Han Solo or a Darth Vader mask of some sort uh, that we, that I probably had on back then. All right. Hey, I really appreciate you giving us your time. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame, the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. And, Thank you. And 
And I think it's just great for our region, the state of Oregon, Pacific Northwest, to hear you and hear you talk about this. They see you on game day, and I know you got a big Saturday in front of you. I, if I see you or or the dog another time in the stadium, I'll stop yeah. and say hi to you. But yeah, I really do. Yeah, appreciate do. you joining us and giving us some of your time, Kirk. Yeah, anytime. Uh, big fan of your work, so have, have a great weekend, and uh, please say hello next time I get out west. All right, there he is, Kirk Curbstreet. You'll see him on ESPN college game day on saturday he'll be on saturday afternoon later he'll be on the ucla colorado broadcast leave it here we got a big friday show in front of us bill riley from salt lake city man we're all over salt lake city today we'll be on at four o'clock make an appointment i thought kirk herbstreit was really good i thought he was better than i expected him to be uh, i let him keep going let him talk uh i thought he came across very authentic I learned a lot about him. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know his approach to the games. I thought he handled the questions about television's role in the downfall of the Pac-12 as well as he possibly could have. I think there's a uh, lot of lot of blame to go around. You know where I stand on that leadership failure, leadership at the top of the Pac-12 conference. Couple of failed commissioners, presidents in the Pac-12 that I think were uh, inept. Uh, bumbling along, and I think television was greedy, and and I think ultimately everybody did what was best for themselves. But you know, I do think I think he's got a healthy outlook. I like the fact that he's a purist. I'm a purist when it comes to the game of college football. I'm not quite ready to kind of turn the page and go, you know, this is how it's going to be because I don't think this is how it's going to be. I think the greed isn't going to go away. the The motivation from the teams and the conferences to continue to, um continue to get more and more and more, is not going anywhere. And so what I think is going to happen ultimately is I think you're going to have maybe 64 teams at the top of college football that could all be together in in one grouping, and I think they will split away. But I think for now, this is like a five- or seven-year, let's see what happens, and then I think there's another whole other cycle of chaos coming, and that's why Oregon State and Washington State have to absolutely stay relevant have to keep themselves at the top of college football, have to continue to fund their programs because, you know, they need to be positioned if if there's going to be another round of chaos. It's their only shot to get back into Power 5 conference football is to stay relevant and to continue to fund the programs. What did you learn about Kirk Herbstreet, Stephen? Yeah, I uh, I agree with you. The fact that I thought he handled the TV question very well, um, the fact that he works for ESPN, like I, I was, you know, I almost expected him to kind of just deflect that question, but he even, you know, he even said like the networks have a big, big part of it, and it's about the money, and and that's kind of what we've been saying the whole time. Um, so I really like that answer. I love the fact, you know, he was talking about the transfer portal. I learned, I, I I knew he was, you know, a highly touted guy. I didn't know he was a five star guy going to Ohio State. Like I didn't know he was that thought of when he was in playing uh, back then in Ohio State. And then, you know, it didn't really perform as well as he could have. And it's one of those things where he didn't, you know, start playing until his junior year. So just the difference of how it would be this year. Like, he, if he played now, he probably is gone after his first two seasons. He's looking to transfer somewhere else to play. Like, it, you know, I respect those type of guys that stick through it and they play throughout it. And then, you know, they like he even said, he can, he can relate with every single guy on the team, whether it's the last guy on the team who's not on scholarship or that five-star recruit that is, you know, killing it and going to go to the NFL. Like he had, he can relate to all those guys. So, I mean, he just comes across so genuine, so good. You know, I love Kirk Herbstreit. So it was it was a good interview, John. I really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I thought he helped himself because I think there's some people right now that want to point a finger at 
ESPN, and by extension of that, they want to point a finger at Kirk Herbstreet and, you know, to some extent, Chris Fowler and to some extent, the Fox broadcast teams and everybody on game day. And, and really, the faces of the people who are on television are not the faces of the people who are making those decisions. Uh, those, those people are up on the top floor of the building making decisions that impact the teams, the athletes, fans, conferences. It's still not okay with me that the Pac-12 conference is going away. And and I am hopeful that Oregon State and Washington State will not just do a simple, hey, let's merge with the Mountain West Conference in a year or two. I, I think they have to be more thoughtful, more calculated, have a better plan than that, because I think if they just fall back into that, then they have accepted their fate. And I, you know, there's part of me that says, okay, you guys are fighters. Go fight now. Um, you know, the fact that he was running house to house as a kid, Halloween, his schedule, him bringing his dog on the sideline, I thought that was kind of a flex at Husky Stadium. I had no idea that his dog was traveling with him for the first time. He's right. The dog was totally calm and just kind of strolling along on the sideline before the game. But I thought, who brings their dog to the stadium? I always say that to Anna, like we go to Home Depot or we go to we go out to, uh, you know, we're in a restaurant, people bring their dogs in. And I'm not talking about seeing-eye dogs. I'm talking about if you just bring your dog in and, and you're just bringing it with you everywhere you go. I always say, what if we always? What if we all did this? There would be like 40 dogs in the middle of the restaurant, you know, like playing around. But I thought about it at the stadium. I said, hey, there's 58,000 people at Husky Stadium. What if we all brought our dogs? But, you know, I had no idea, you know, he's just strolling along for the first time. That dog made made the trip. Um, so good stuff with Kirk Herbstreit. We'll continue to get big guests on the show. Coming up 4 o'clock, it'll be Bill Riley. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.